Welcome to another episode of Mormon Discussion. I'm your host, Bill Real. Grateful to be with you again today. I uh, We've been going through the historical Jesus and predominantly here in the beginning tackling each of the gospel books, trying to share a little bit about who the author is, what we know about their writing style, what we know about them, the point of view they have, maybe some biases they hold, and how they're portraying Jesus within their gospel. And today we're going to tackle the book of Matthew. If you haven't watched the first two episodes, the first one is on the book of Mark. It also includes a little intro. The second one is on what's called the Q Gospel, which is a a missing gospel text that if it was real and if it existed, it explains very well a problem found in the synoptic gospels. Again, by synoptic, we mean Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is entirely outside of the synoptic gospels and is something completely different. Today we're talking about Matthew. Matthew was likely written between 80 and 90 AD, maybe as early as 70, maybe as late as 110, but most scholars date it between 80 and 90 AD. Now it's important to keep in mind, right, that, that Jesus, you know, gets crucified, put in the tomb. We believe he's resurrected three days later. And yet these gospel accounts are being written much, much later than, than Jesus. And, and so once you grasp that these accounts come way late, they likely were much more of an oral tradition for the very first generation of Jesus's followers, those who would have actually witnessed the events when they took place, that sometime later in the second, third generation, maybe even fourth generation of people, these, these documents are being written down. We know that the author of Matthew um, has a polished Semitic Greek uh, vocabulary. Uh, he's more scripturally informed. We talked about how Mark, whoever the author of Mark was, didn't really know the Torah very well, would point you towards a scripture and would be naming the wrong scripture throughout his book. This doesn't happen in the book of Matthew. Whoever writes Matthew is much more scripturally informed. We Scholars believe this person to be a male, believe this person to be a Jew. This, this author of Matthew, um, he, he has Jesus being divine from birth. Again, in Mark, there's no nativity. The, the, the experience that happens is that Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. And essentially, this is when God jumps in and says, this is my son. And he has something special to do is from the baptism on. In Matthew, there's a nativity story and Jesus is divine from birth. We, we also have a lot of fragments of Matthew that are in existence from very early on, first century, early second century of Christianity or the Jesus movement. Again, going back to the intro, recognizing that the very first three generations of Jesus' followers would have been tied very closely to Judaism. They would have been Jews. They would have been going to the synagogue to worship and essentially would have been kind of this uh, fringe group who say, hey, we're Jewish, but we also believe in this Jesus guy. And very early on, this would have been fine and it kind of accepted or tolerated. As we get into the second and third generation, this would become more heretical and pushed out from the synagogue when and then eventually these followers of Jesus would be uh, essentially establishing a faith of their own outside of Judaism. 
But there's a lot of fragments of Matthew in existence, and these fragments have various geographical locations. So when the original book of Matthew is written, shortly after, people are copying the book. They're they're essentially making a copy. And in your community, wherever you were geographically, when someone came in with this Matthew document, you would have copied it over, but you would have made a few little slight changes. And we we know this because we have these fragments, we have these pieces, and we can see the changes that various communities are making to the Matthew story. And so since with any of these four Gospels, we don't have the actual original document written down, and all we have are copies, we can assume with the other three Gospels that the same idea happens, that with, with Mark and Luke and John, the same concept occurs, and so we, we just know that the document we have today is not told, the story is not told the same way, doesn't use the same words, it may have slightly different experiences in it than what the original document would have had. So we, we know there's geographical variations. We know it is occurring in Matthew, and hence we can assume it, is, it has occurred in the other three. The, the earliest full text we have of Matthew is in the 4th century. We have some fragment pieces from the 2nd and 3rd century, but the only, the, the earliest full text we have is from the 4th century. So we're talking essentially 350 years after Jesus. And, and there's a lot of room for things to be slightly different. And even within Mormonism, we recognize this, right? We say that we believe in the Bible as far as it is translated correctly. And we have to recognize that even in these four Gospels, translation changes have happened. And so we need to be just a touch hesitant or skeptical to put any amount of absolute certitude on any one event in these things, having actually been on the original document, uh, again, outside of what they are using from Mark and outside of what they are using from the Q Gospel. The the author to Matthew is anonymous. He never tells us his name is Matthew. That's a later edition by later writers. It is only way later on that people place into the document according to Matthew. That quote, according to Matthew, unquote, is placed in later. Matthew does not claim to be an eyewitness. Uh, interestingly, there's always this lore behind each of these Gospels. And the lore behind Matthew... The early church fathers tell a narrative that Matthew was a collector of the sayings of Jesus. And and so maybe take that little tidbit and apply it to the last episode talking about the Q gospel. Is it possible that Matthew would have had, not necessarily that he writes them down, but rather he has a collection of the sayings of Jesus, this Q gospel? Who knows? We know that out of the 661 verses that are in Mark, that Matthew uses 600 of them. Interesting, right? He's he's essentially copying almost all of Mark into his gospel. You know, to use that much, 600 of somebody's 661 verses, that's just, it's incredible. And so it's why there's so much overlap. As you read Matthew and Luke, to see this much overlap from Mark, it's because they're copying much of his gospel into their narrative, into their story. He... um he shares 221 verses with Luke that are not found in Mark. So this would be the Q gospel, this Q source we're talking about in the last episode. There's 221 verses in Matthew and in Luke 
that Mark doesn't have. So we know that this would be a product, this, this book of Matthew would be a product, this gospel of Matthew, a product of, of second generation of Jesus followers. These wouldn't necessarily be the eyewitnesses to Jesus or his resurrection. These are the converts who come a few decades later. These are the children of those early witnesses. Matthew does not explain Jewish customs. He does not spend any time trying to help you understand any customs within the Jewish faith. And, and that concept shows that Matthew is writing to or speaking to an insider audience, people who would already know those details, so he doesn't feel any need to have to explain those. The book of Matthew shows a tension between Jew and Gentiles. The author feels somewhat caught between and and as the Jesus movement transitions from a fringe group within the Jewish faith to a faith of its own outside of Judaism, because that transition is beginning to happen here, the author of the Gospel of Matthew seems really concerned about losing Jewish traditions. Again, in the book of Matthew, Jesus is portrayed as partaking in a one-year ministry rather than a three-year ministry. Also... Something else that's different in the book of Matthew is, is that math, the author of Matthew is going out of his way to portray Jesus as the new David or as a new Moses. He, he's, we're hearing for the first time this story of Herod, uh, killing the first generation. And this story is important. We assume as Mormons and, and most of Christianity assumes that this story is a historical story of Herod killing the firstborn. It, it may be, there's no evidence for it. We have some historians living in this time period and shortly after who are writing important events down. We have zero evidence of Herod killing the firstborn. It's an atrocious act um, to go into uh, Bethlehem and, and Nazareth, if it exists. I don't want to get off on a tangent, but Nazareth likely didn't even exist at the time. And so Jesus being uh, Jesus of Nazareth has a different meaning than what most people would assume. But this event with Herod, it, it's so matching closely with the Moses story. And, and we see it as like God making an event happen very similarly to place Jesus in the similitude of Moses and to have Jesus essentially fulfilling this, this uh, type kind of story that happened in the Old Testament to kind of show that Jesus is is the Messiah and, and that these events are happening. Same thing with like a 40-day fast that both Moses and Jesus partake in. Scholars, the best scholars, the, the most scholars, I mean, this is just a predominant view held in scholarship. Any view outside of this would be the minority view, but the predominant view is that the Herod story is a add-in. It didn't really happen. It really wasn't occurring in the actual mortality of Jesus' life. This didn't happen when he was a kid. This story is added to give Jesus credibility. And and this the scholars believe this happens over and over again, that stories are added into these Gospels so as to help Jesus look more like he's fulfilling the role of Messiah and that things are happening in his life that are extremely similar to, uh, Moses or David, uh, or others so that he, so that, that Moses' story or David's story would be kind of a typecast 
for for Jesus to fulfill and to look like so that later people would say, yeah, see, that happened to Moses and it happened to Jesus. That tells us that God is working in this, that God's hand is in this. But but the scholarship says that these are just added in stories. These aren't necessarily legit. And and so we have to be really careful as we're overclaiming or tying our theology or beliefs to to stories that that likely aren't weren't literally occurring during Jesus's mortality. I'm sorry I'm stammering through that. I want to make sure I, that I'm clear though and I'm choosing my words carefully. One of the other examples of this is the genealogy in Matthew. Matthew is painting Jesus as being uh, 14 generations from Josiah. And Josiah being 14 generations from David. And David being 14 generations from Moses. And this 14 generations is this connection as well. And and we should just recognize that that scholars are like so, so sure and certain that these generations are not accurate or literal. They're simply meant to be a foreshadowing um, of Jesus' connection to to David and to Moses and to other prophets and to Old Testament teachings that if Jesus is going to have a legitimate place within Judaism or within religion generally, then they need him fulfilling or being connected to these folks. Some other little things. Mark is always... Uh, referring to the kingdom of God. Mark uses that phrase often. Matthew, on the other hand, refers to the kingdom of heaven. Matthew, in his uh, crucifixion account, has the Jews uh, crying out, crucify him. And, and Mark doesn't do that. Mark doesn't have any kind of connection between the people and Barabbas and them crucifying Jesus because the people are not letting Pontius Pilate off the hook. Rather, Mark just portrays that he goes before Pontius Pilate, he is uh, found guilty of whatever, and 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 it goes to the cross. Whereas Matthew is trying to involve the Jewish people with this. Now keep in mind, Mark is written earlier when the followers of Jesus have more of a foothold in Judaism. Matthew is written later when there's this stronger tension between the Jewish people and and the followers of Jesus trying to remain within this Jesus movement. We will uh, we'll spend more time at the end in the in the last kind of episode kind of wrapping all this stuff up. We'll spend some time talking about the differences from gospel to gospel kind of lined up against each other. And and so this this episode is quite short. I think the others went to about 20 to 25 minutes. This one's a little under 20. But I want to leave these all separate. So this essentially is the episode for, for Matthew. And uh, and I hope you're getting a little feel for kind of the differences in the authors as well as a little difference in the way they're portraying Jesus in each of these. Um, but that does it for this episode. Again, may the Lord warm your shoulders. God bless you. I hope to see you here in just a few seconds on episode four uh, as we tackle... Uh, the book of Luke.